0: Well, it's great to be back up here. I have uh, had, had a little bit of a rest from preaching the last three weeks, and you've had a smorgasbord of great preachers, including my very own wife, who was up here last week for the first time uh, in a couple, of, oh, a couple of years, I think it's been. So, and you had Dr. Mark Durie, uh, one of the foremost Christians and uh, cultural commentators in Australia, and you had uh, Pastor Mike and Jane, uh, our friends from uh, Sydney or formerly from Sydney, who have now moved. So when they were here on the Sunday, they actually flew out that Thursday uh, and moved to the mission field uh, in Turkey with their family. So just um, absolutely phenomenal. And the giving that we've been taking to support them on the mission field uh, has just been highly successful. We'll give you a more uh, detailed update soon, but it's just been a uh, really generous giving. And if anyone wants to be involved in that, there's still plenty of opportunities, so... When Mike and Jane uh, were here, uh, our missionary friends—we can call them our missionaries now, because we're supporting them in their work overseas—we um, took them to the hot springs down in Peninsula. Down in the morning to Peninsula. Has anyone been there before? The hot springs. Oh, wow! Look at all those hands go up. <laughs> Some of you very gingerly, like, yeah, I go there a lot. <laughs> Well, it's a real Korean thing. So in Korea, like every little town, so imagine like Frankston and Cranbourne has their own hot baths. It's a real Korean thing. They love it. And Mike and Jane have been working so hard to pack up their whole house and family and everything to move to the other side of the world, to the mission field. We thought, we've got to take them down there just to soak in the bath. And you know, I hope this isn't going to make you uh, too jealous this morning. But do you remember what it's like when you go to the hot bath and you just slip into that water? it's 40 degrees, it's like, it just, it's like the water soaks into your soul, it just is so restful and peaceful. And does it, I know a couple of people find that irritating, the heat, the hot water, but for most of us it relaxes our muscles, it relaxes our mind, it relaxes our soul, everything kind of, oh, you just slide into the water. Anyway, we spent like three hours there, it was a long time. My favourite thing to do at the Peninsular Hot Springs is the, uh, the Turkish uh, bath or the Turkish uh, hot room which is like a wet sauna. Anyone like wet saunas? So you've got the dry sauna where it's wood and it's dry and then you've got the wet sauna where it's like misty and they, I think they're amazing and I, I love those at the, uh, at the hot springs, they just soak, soak in them and then as you come out the door, it's like this big cave, you come out the door of the Turkish um, hot sauna and there's the plunge pool there and that's like five degrees and you've got to jump into the plunge pool and uh, then you go hot, cold, hot, cold. Absolutely love it. So now what we're going to talk about uh, over the next few weeks is these core spiritual practices. Uh, today's the core practices, but I want to kind of give you an overview of the seven today. And these seven practices are just like slipping into a hot bath, because ultimately the idea of the practices is to abide with Christ, is to be in love with Jesus Christ. Now I'm sure some of you out there are like me, you're not a super duper lovey-dovey kind of person. So the whole idea of being intimate with Jesus I'm a man, Jesus is a man. It seems a little bit weird. It's something that I've had to wrestle with for many, many years because it doesn't fit very well with my personality, intimacy and lovey-dovey and abiding with Christ and all of these kinds of things. But if you can get past, like I've had to, get past your personality, get past your gender, whatever you've got to get past, everyone's going to have some series of barriers that's going to stop you from that intimate connection with Jesus Christ. But if you can just slip into that, Just like you slip into a hot bath, it's a similar kind of spiritual experience. Just like you slip into a hot bath, and even though the water's only touching your skin, there's the relaxation, there's the peace, there's the joy, there's the rest. Even though it's only touching your skin, it's like it goes all through you. The hot bath mentally, something shifts when you just sit in those baths in your heart something changes. The world slows down when you slip into a hot bath. Just like the rest that comes to your muscles, rest can come to your soul. This is what happens in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He's pure water, washes over you and it cleanses you, it cleans you, it heals you. the core practices that we're going to talk about over this term are going to be totally, completely focused on you falling in love with Jesus more and more. Or maybe falling in love with Jesus for the first time. Or maybe falling in love with Jesus again. Coming back to that intimate place of abiding with Christ. In John 15, Jesus explains this concept of being in love with Him, of being connected with Him, of abiding with Him. And I'm going to read this from the New American Version because it uses the word abiding. If you read the NIV, which I usually read, it says, remain with Christ, but I'm going to use the NASB today. This is taken from John's Gospel, so chapter 15 in John's Gospel, and John's Gospel is the fourth Gospel, so you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Now, John's gospel is very different to the what's called the synoptic gospels, the other three, because they're all very similar. And his gospel has a very strong focus on the identity of Christ. So, in theological terms, we call this a Christological focus. So, he's constantly focused, every chapter, every verse, on telling you who Jesus is, telling you that he's the Son of God. So, John chapter 1 launches off with he's the Son of God, he's the Logos, He's the Word made flesh, and he has a very strong focus every chapter on Jesus as the Messiah, the promised one, the chosen one, who was coming, who was promised in the Old Testament, and coming to take away the sins of the world. And St. John gives us, in Jesus' very own words, this amazing passage in John chapter 15. We're going to read verse 1 to 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father... Is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you." So these first few verses just outline for us the scenario. This is the scenario of being in love with Jesus Christ. The Father is the gardener, Jesus is the vine, the main branch, the life source, rooted in the ground, but the main vine that grows. And then we are the branches attached to the vine. There's only one main vine. There's many, many branches. There's only one gardener or vine dresser, and that is God the Father, who comes along and every branch is pruned no branches without pruning. The bad branches are pruned off, cut away, thrown into the fire. The good branches are pruned also in order to be more fruitful. Abide in me, it says in verse 4. This is the big call to you today, to me, to all of humanity. Abide in me. This is Jesus. So you've probably got a capital M on your me there. Yeah, abide in me, capital M, because this is the Son of God speaking. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Everyone say, abides. Everyone say, abides. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Everyone say, nothing. Now, Jesus is always very down the line with the way that He talks. And as modern, Western people, we love to take His words and and, and turn Him into this woke kind of Jesus that's like, we didn't really mean you can't do anything. Like, mate, it's probably just a figure of speech. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's read on to clarify what he means by nothing. He means, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. He is thrown away and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. I think it's pretty, it's pretty direct what Jesus is saying. The core of Christianity, the very essence of following Jesus is abiding with Him, remaining with Him, being with Him. I think I've got a little photo here from my uh, week away. This, is, uh, this week we're away all week in, in Bright. None of you noticed because we're here last week and we're here this week. But, and in the little house we're staying at, uh, they, had this, they had like three little grapevines there uh, to produce a little bit of their own wine. And so you can see the picture, this is me with uh, Nova, our fourth child. And you can see there the main branch, right? The main vine grows from the ground, right from the bottom. It's got its roots in the ground, so it's it's life-giving. And then as that main vine grows up, it's trained along the, the lattice, so it's trained along the poles and wire. So it gets pruned, doesn't it? Heavily pruned by the gardener in order to train the right branches in the right direction for maximum fruitfulness. And you can see those there. So Jesus is saying, you are the branches, you produce the fruit, you produce the grapes, you're trained along the poles and wire, but the ultimate life source is Jesus. And Jesus is very clearly saying to us, abide in me. So there's you and there's Jesus, you're in him, you're totally enclosed by Christ. But then he's also saying, and I... Will abide in you. So, 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 there's you now, and there's Jesus, and you wrap yourself around Christ. Christ in you, you in Christ. So, there's both dimensions there. It's very intimate, it's very together. The Greek word that's used is meniate, and I was just looking at this last night as I was watching the footy. It was difficult because St Kilda were winning, and it was just hard. But anyway, I've managed to pull the Greek word for you, and it means abiding, means remaining, it means persisting, it means residing, it means staying, that's what it means. So when Jesus says, abide in me, he says, stay. When Jesus says, abide in me, he means remain, as in, be consistent, endure, reside here, live here. This is literally what the word means, and by implication... Abiding with Jesus means to spiritually align with him. So at the end of the day, peel everything away, your job and your money and your hair, or some of you are already peeling your hair away, but peel everything back. What you have left is you, the spiritual person, the invisible part of you that I can't see with my own eyes, but inside of you, there's this spiritual being, To abide with Christ ultimately is to align your spirit and his spirit together. That his heart is your heart. That his words are your words. That his priorities are your priorities. To be totally in the middle of God's will. That when God prunes you, he's pruning you for greater fruitfulness because you have aligned spiritually with Christ. That's what it means to remain in him, to persist in him. And bearing fruit is important. Bearing fruit is not a bonus, bearing fruit is not an accident, bearing fruit isn't something magical that happens to those people that are real serious Christians. Bearing fruit is available to all of us and it ultimately comes down to how we align with Christ and how we love Him and abide with Him. This fruit is not born on your own though, we sang about that this morning, we're not going to strive, we're not going to strain, we're not going to perform and do Christian stuff but the fruit actually comes out of the life-giving source of the vine. And it comes through us as the branches, but it's Christ in us and through us producing fruit. This is where prayer, this is where Bible study, this is where all the spiritual practices come to bear because in the intimacy with Christ, we produce fruit. And fruit is important because it is the evidence The evidence that we are in loving union with Jesus Christ and on the inside, we are being formed and we are being shaped. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father, so the vine dresser, the gardener, my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's Jesus with those cutting words again. He wants us to prove ourselves as disciples. What is a disciple? It's a follower of Jesus. Now again, as modern people, it's not not kind of our game to like, strive and strain and do all the right things and tick all the boxes, you know, we're expressive individuals that have our own way of doing things but the Bible corrects us. To be a disciplined follower of Jesus is not to be an expressive individual first, To be a follower of Jesus is first and foremost to align with Him and produce fruit, kingdom fruit, godly fruit, fruit of forgiveness and repentance and humility and peace and loving enemies and all this kind of fruit. And then secondly, God will bring you into that individual calling and the uniqueness of your own life and all of those great things. But first and foremost, seeking the kingdom first is actually seeking godly fruit not the human evidence of a bank account or a position at work or a place amongst our friendship group but the fruit that comes through Christ. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you, abide in my love. This will be the core of our second term as a church together, abide in my love, abide with me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, Just as as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So, everything Jesus is telling us here in John 15, He's doing and He's done. Just as I'm saying to you to, to abide in me, Jesus is saying, I too abide in the Father. So, He's already offered us an example of what it means to be in loving union with the Father. This is the brilliance of Christ, this is the phenomenal genius of Christianity, the only religion on the face of the earth where the God of that religion actually came down to earth, became a human and demonstrated what it means to be human. Didn't just say from above, be human like this, do this, do that, but came down and modelled what it is to be human. So everything that we're going to talk about this term is based on how Jesus lived, how Jesus prioritised, how Jesus spent his money, how Jesus had his friendships, how Jesus practised being a Christian. So there's three things here in these last few verses I quickly want to touch on because I know you're all taking notes. Oh, lots of nervous laughs, that's interesting just take that as a little marker of your fruit being produced. (laughs) I take notes whenever I'm not preaching, so that's the model if you want to follow that. doesn't matter who's up here, there's always something to learn. Amen. Three ways to measure abiding in Christ here. The first one in verse 7 is these words. When you're in loving union with Jesus, there's His words. His words abide in you. It's not just He in you, but it's His words are in you. There's a word dimension to abiding and remaining in Christ. There's a dialogue. There's a toing and throwing. There's a talking backwards and forwards. There's a prayer element. He speaks, you obey. You ask, you receive blessing from him. Secondly, there's action. So not only word, but there's action. Jesus very clearly says, the fruit will prove your discipleship. Your love Is the third thing the love is also proved by the obeying of commandments? So we've got words, we've got action, we've got love. And again, the words of Jesus are cut us to the heart, they find us out every time. If you love me, you'll obey me. Again, it doesn't fit very well for us as modern people because we obey in the way that we can obey. And I'm trying, Pastor Caleb, and I this is what I can offer, and I'm doing my best. Jesus says if you love Him, you will obey Him. Jesus gave 150 commandments in the Gospels, 150 commandments we find. Things like, love your enemies, things like, if you've got two coats, give one coat away to someone who doesn't have one. There's all these commandments that Jesus directly says, this is what it's like to live like I live. If you obey those commandments you are my disciples and you do love me verse 11 to finish it off these things i've spoken to you that your joy that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full abiding in love with jesus leads to the fullness of joy richard foster calls the practices liberation liberation brings you into true freedom and true true joy the purpose of abiding with christ is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. And You hear a lot about this, this term, the purpose of following Jesus, being with Jesus, praying, coming to church, all of these things is that you are with Jesus, that your being with Jesus leads to you becoming like Jesus because you're not going to become like Jesus if you don't hang out with Jesus and ultimately that you would do what Jesus did. You would pray their prayers for healing. You would reach your neighbor. You would love those that nobody loves. you do all the things that Jesus did, not because you should, but because it comes out of the vine. The fruit of Christ comes through you and you are compelled. You have to do what Jesus did because he is so in you. So we practice the spiritual disciplines in order to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus in order to be what Jesus did this is how we abide with Jesus and this whole series over this term I really feel the Holy Ghost has given us this timing this series for this time for this uh, place that we're in as a church for what God needs to speak to us because he wants to reintroduce us to the spiritual practices he wants to reintroduce us to how Jesus lived, how Jesus prayed, how Jesus went about spiritual things so that we can become more like him. And I trust that you're here because you want to know him better. The spiritual practices have developed Christians' faith for over 2,000 years. These practices don't come from the monks. They don't come from the early church fathers or the desert fathers. They don't come from the Catholic church that we had was the only church for a thousand years. These practices originally come from Jesus and how he lived. And then all of church history has built upon the model of Christ and has built these ways of praying, fasting, sabbathing, slowing down, serving, giving money worshiping, all these practices are spiritual practices ultimately that build us in a way to abide with Christ and they're all based on how Jesus lived. So do you want to explore that this term? Do you want to come with us on this journey this term? We want to do this as life groups or as small groups of friends if you want to get together. We're going to give you discussion questions every week that you can do in your life group or you can grab a few friends or do at home with the people that you live with because we really want to dive deeper into this and we're going to do this as a whole church together. Uh, So not just Sundays but also during the week because one 40-minute sermon on a Sunday is not enough in order to follow Jesus. It's a 24-7 discipleship journey of following Him And guess what? Everything in this world is against you following Jesus. Everything wants to stop you from slowing down, from spending time with Jesus, from becoming like Jesus. Everything is trying to pull you away from that. I'm going to jump forward here. I'm just going to skip a couple of slides, Dan. Sorry about that. Let's jump into a quick overview of the seven core spiritual practices. Now, you may have called, heard these called the disciplines before. Has anyone heard the spiritual disciplines? Okay, Richard Foster wrote a really famous book in the early 90s called The Celebration of Discipline. I read it in my discipleship year that I did here in the church back in 2001, and uh, I returned to it about four years ago when I was really looking to go deeper in my prayer life with God, and I just did it as a devotional in my morning prayer times and read through the book again. And then I really feel God leading us back there again to, to reacquaint ourselves um, with this, the, the, the seven um, or with the spiritual disciplines or practices. But I'm going to focus in on these seven over the next term. I'm going to focus in on these out of many, many practices, because I think that these are probably the seven, well I've called them the core ones, or seven critical ones, they may be considered the classical disciplines, as in these are the disciplines that have stood the test of time. So the seven core spiritual practices. So this is from Richard Foster, straight from the man himself, the the probably modern guru on this. I've, I've just finished reading his book on prayer, and I just could not highly recommend it enough. Like his book, Richard Foster's book on prayer is, I feel like I'm a novice again in my prayer life. I've been praying, how old am I? I turned 40 this year. I've been praying basically for 40 years. I feel like I'm starting again because of the way God is leading me, but also just diving into things from a different angle. And I couldn't highly recommend Richard Foster's book on prayer. It's really dramatically impacting me. But his other book celebration of discipline he says this the classical disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living to the depths you know we we have an epidemic of shallowness not only in our culture but even in the church the spiritual disciplines call us beyond the surface he says they invite us to explore the inner caverns of the spiritual realm joy everyone say joy you guys are so quiet this morning, joy, joy is the keynote of all the disciplines. The purpose of the practices is liberation from the stifling slavery of self-interest and fear. When the inner life or the inner spirit is liberated from all that weighs its down, these practices can hardly be described as dull drudgery. Now, you are human, I am human. I look at that list there and go, (sighs) so I'm not up here as some contemplative master or some spiritual practices guru going, I've got all of this nailed. I'm right with you. I feel like I'm a novice beginning to learn how to pray all over again. This is not something that you do in a week. This is not something you could even do in a year. This is something you have to practice. Ah, do you get it now? Christianity is about practice. When Jesus said, come follow me, the disciples didn't, oh, okay, I was a fisherman five minutes ago, but now I'm a rabbi. No, it was years and years and days and conversations and long nights and weird experiences in boats and then the rabbi gets crucified on a cross and everything he said must have been a lie but then he comes back from the dead and then we do the Acts of the Apostles and there's controversies in the church and there's councils and there's all kinds of things. Years and years, conversations, conversations, friends, time, church, worship services, conferences, chipping away, chipping away, failing, getting back up again, falling into sin, repenting, going again. This takes time. So please don't sit here, this, this series and this, these sermons and go, oh, this is nice, great, awesome, pretty stuff but <laughs> you don't understand, Caleb, I've got three kids. You don't understand, like, I'm pretty important at my job, you know, I've got work to do, like, I'm not trying to make your life difficult, I'm just trying to give you what the, what the church has done for 2,000 years, based on the model of Jesus that brings people to a place of true intimacy with Christ, truly following Jesus. And this is only the core ones, okay? The first is simplicity, so living from the divine centre, so that everything in your life becomes freer. So the divine center is here, and the rest of your life revolves around Christ at the core. How you spend your money, where you spend your time, everything, your calendar, your priorities, your friendships, everything revolves around Christ at the center. This is the simple life. And what happens is this simplicity, if you truly capture simplicity, it sets you free from the anxiety of money. It sets you free from striving in your career. You know, I'm, I'm an I'm a nearly 40-year-old guy, and most of the conversations for guys my age are about work and about the next job, the next pay rise, the next business venture, where I'm, what I'm doing with my share portfolio, the house that I want to buy, whatever. Simplicity sets you free from all of that. You can just trust God, you can work hard, spend your money appropriately, have the clothes you need but not have a wardrobe of clothes you don't wear. The simplicity starts spiritual, but it seeps into money very quickly. You look at all the scriptures in the Bible on simplicity, most of them are talking about money. And where, where do we live? We live in this culture that's crazy about consumerism, crazy about buying stuff and having stuff. Prayer is obvious spiritual practice. So it's prayer as a habit of connecting with Jesus. It's woven into our routine. Not a bonus, it's not if I can get to it, but it's practicing it every single day, if we can. The Scripture, Bible study, regular study of the Bible that shapes our inner life. The Bible is given to us as a ruler, that every day you can study the Word of God and it corrects you, it rebukes you, it grows you, it improves you, but it gives you a standard to live by. Take the Bible away. There's just whatever you find in spiritual stuff, and whatever book you read, or whatever your favorite YouTuber told you you should be doing, or what, but the Bible goes bang, and it cuts through all of the stuff that we're feeding on, and it goes, this is the Word of God. From the mouth of God, this is it. It's challenging, it cuts us to the core, it hurts us, we bleed a little bit. We mull over it. We reject it at first. But then we come back to it. This is God's word. And we, we, we weigh it up. And we talk through it with people. And we study it with our small groups. And the scripture becomes the thing that truly shapes our inner life. Sabbath is a day a week devoted to rest and worship. This has traditionally been on a Sunday. Families would come to church on a Sunday. Sunday roast, does anyone remember that? Mum would have to rush home and cook that. There's was never really a Sabbath for mums, but dads would sit on the porch and hang out and get fed good food and kids would play and we'd rest and we'd have family time. Even when I was growing up, back in the 90s, most shops weren't open on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday at all. It broke my heart this year with Easter, even me and, and my little second division soccer league that I play in, for the first time ever, in my whole time I've played soccer, there were soccer games on the Easter weekend, on, on, on the, Lord's, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, Thursday night, there was games, there was games on Saturday, there was games on Sunday, over the Easter weekend. I know we've had that in professional sport for a few years, but it just broke my heart. But that's, But that's... The stream of culture, eventually everything that was sacred now becomes secular and it's just about Easter eggs and sport and what do we have? The great challenge, I played soccer on Thursday night before Good Friday, that's when my soccer game was that weekend and I I, I thought about not playing because that was the night when the Lord broke bread with His disciples and Judas betrayed Him and then He went to the cross. but but culture and the way that our world is is telling me there's now a soccer game that you've got to go to and to play in. It just felt so wrong and you just feel the suck of culture. You know, Most of us went away for holidays over Easter weekend, but I know there were some people in this congregation that did not go away on holidays so you could be here Easter Sunday to take communion with us because that for you is important. I think that's really powerful. If you went away on holidays, that's totally fine. I'm not correcting you. I'm just saying, that's the culture. It drags us away from Sabbath. It drags us away from Scripture. There is nothing out in our culture that is going to push you to do any of these seven things. This is the point I'm trying to make. But we swim in this culture. It's very hard to see our culture. It's very hard to understand our world. These seven core practices are not culturally relevant. They're radical. They're swimming against the flow No one will encourage you to fast, except me and the Bible. (laughs) No one will encourage you to do a true Sabbath and just spend time with your children and teach them to pray and just go to the park and just rest, just not look at your phone for a day a week. Could you put your phone aside for a day a week? That's what a Sabbath is, turn the screens off. No one's going to encourage you to do that except God and your pastor. Fasting is a denial of food in order to grow spiritually. And out of all the disciplines, I have found fasting to be the most powerful. The most powerful, for me personally. The minute I deny myself food, I just grow expediently, but it's very hard to give up food. Living in community, so partners for life's journey and mutual discipleship. This is well done for being at church today, because you're practicing that number six there. You are saying, the culture will say to you, do kids' sport on a Sunday. Go out for brunch on a Sunday. Take that shift at work. Double time on a Sunday. Everything in our culture, again, will come to what was once sacred or once set aside for God and it's going to offer you an alternative. But you're here today saying, no, I'm going to practice my religion. I'm going to practice my faith. I'm going to align spiritually with Christ and abide in love with Him by coming to my community my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and standing shoulder to shoulder. This is a radical statement on a Sunday morning that God exists. And this, this has been rapidly decreasing in Australian culture for the last 50 years, rapidly decreasing church attendance but you are here as a radical few, a small percentage saying, I'm going to practice my religion, I'm going to practice my faith, I'm going to abide with Christ. That's a powerful practice. But everything wants to take it. Work will offer you double time. All the sports leagues now, Sunday morning, take your kid out, play sport. It's difficult. It's really difficult. Everything is against it. And then number seven is silence and solitude. So moments of intentional time to be alone with God, to be in the silence, to be alone, to be solitary, to be away. I've started practicing this in little moments, even when I, so often I go across the cafe here for lunch, and sometimes I'll just sit there for 10 minutes and just close my eyes and just be silent. I know that sounds super spiritual, and I haven't been doing this for years, trust me, I'm just trying to practice and trying to build up my spiritual muscle in these ways that I haven't done it before. But it's so powerful just finding that moment alone with God. As I've explained to you, my prayer time is usually 6.45am, I was up this morning, out on my alfresco with my dressing gown on and my beanie this morning because it was a bit cold. But I go outside even though it's uncomfortable uh, because it gives some kind of barrier from kids rushing out at me or at least I can say, hi, good morning, go back inside, let Daddy pray please gives me some kind of barrier but the main thing i go reason I go outside on my alfresco is because it's silent I can be solitary I can be cut away for a few minutes from the family even if they're up I can just have a moment with God is every prayer time perfect far from it do many of my prayer times get trashed by kids coming onto my knee and whatever and it's a, yeah it does do I get distracted sometimes and not pray and get caught thinking about other things yeah of course I do I'm a human, I'm not perfect, I'm no contemplative master yet, but silence and solitude is something I practice, and I want to practice, and I want to keep growing in. How do we do this? Let's, Let's get practical for a moment. How do you do these kind of practices? How do you allow these kind of practices to form you to be like Christ? How do you be with Jesus? Everyone say, be with Jesus. Say, become like Jesus. Say, do as Jesus did. How do we practice these spiritual disciplines to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do as Jesus did? How do we get there? How do we shift our lives? Because I know these sermons are difficult for all of us because things come up. And good things, responsibilities, schedules, all kinds of things come up. And that's okay because that's a reality of life. You've got stuff to sort out, you've got kids to manage, you've got non negotiables, you've got school runs to do, you've got jobs. Some of you are very important people. How do you do it? There's only one way. Like anything good that comes to us in life, you have to be intentional and you have to be deliberate about spiritual formation. You can't want it. Wanting it's not enough. You can't just believe it. Believing's not enough. You've got to be able to do. You've got to be intentional. See, the fact is, something will spiritually form you. And listen very carefully to me here this morning. Because when I say spiritual formation, most of us go, that's the godly bit and we become like Jesus. Yep, I get that. It's kind of the Christian stuff. It's kind of the, the God stuff, the Bible stuff. But even if you're not a believer, even if you're not following Jesus, you are being spiritually formed. This world is shaping you. All the priorities of the world, every, every, even secularism, atheism, consumerism, all of these things are really a religion. They have the churches of Chadston and Fountain Gate, these places of worship that people go to bow down. You tithe way more money to junk food and buying the right jeans and getting the right shoes and then you wrestle over your 10% to give to God but you freely give your money to all these other things that are useless and negotiable and unnecessary because everything is spiritually forming you. The practices of Jesus will form you to be more like Jesus. But without those practices, you're still being spiritually formed. In your heart of hearts, in your inner life, in your belief system, this world will form you. Your friends will form you. Your family already formed you and shaped you. As you're a child, you are shaping your children to be a certain kind of person. Everything is forming you, the TV is forming you, the political uh, battle that's going on for, for th- this week, it's all forming us, shaping us, offering us stories and things to believe. Let me show you for a moment in a simple diagram. Formation can be intentional or it can be unintentional. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into this today because of time, but I'll bring this back up in the series, I promise. We're either either formed and we know it, or we're formed and we don't realize. Unintentional spiritual formation looks like this. There's an environment, that's the triangle, there's an environment that we live in. Environments shape people. We know that if you've been a parent, or if you've been a child, an environment's going to shape you. You are shaped less by your parents' words and more by the household environment that you grew up in. Pastor Zoe said it to us last week, your children won't really do what you say, they'll do what you are. We all hope that our children will grow up and listen to all the things we said and follow them because we told them all the good things. The impact of that will be very small. Who you are as a human being is what will shape them as a human being. And we think we hide all this stuff from our children because we don't want them to kind of be like some of the things we're like, because some of them aren't very good, and we think we do a great job in hiding them. Where in fact, it's the environment that you create, the who you are, that impacts them. It's the same as a human being. This environment is made up by three things it's the stories that we believe. It's the habits that we form and it's the human relationships that we have. If you believe in the story of money is important, get as much as you can, then you'll probably form the habit of taking shifts on a Sunday morning rather than coming to church. And then if you've got good mates at work that you enjoy hanging out with, those relationships, they'll encourage you to take that shift and form that habit and you're unintentionally being formed and shaped. It's not that coming to church forms you spiritually, but going out for brunch doesn't form you at all. (laughs) It's not that praying forms you spiritually, but hanging out with, you know, friends that aren't very healthy friendships and don't really breed life in you or talk about things that are healthy or appropriate, are just, eh. no, that's forming you. No, that's shaping you. No, that's feeding you a story to believe. This week in the political race, we're going to be fed story after story after story. What's true? I don't know. People don't really follow facts as much as they follow stories, follow what sounds right, what feels right. These things are shaping us unintentionally. We know that relationships, the Bible tells us in relationships that even good character Good character can be corrupted. Bad friends corrupt good character. Relationships are important. Who you choose to spend time with, who you choose to let whisper priorities, opinions into your ear, it's important. You either control that, you either bring that under the light of Christ and under the gaze of God, or you just sit there telling yourself, oh, all that gossip and all that stuff and all that junk I consume on Netflix or whatever, it doesn't really affect me. It's not my prayer life, but it is. Everything is shaping you. Everything you watch, everything you read, every person that you hang around with. Let's go to the next slide as we finish off this morning, and then we're going to pray for you. Intentional formation. So now I've got the, the first one there, the unintentional, and we've got the intentional. To take control of your spiritual formation and your loving relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to take control of your environment by bringing the Holy Ghost into it, by letting the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of God, build an environment around you, within you. And that's done through three intentional things, rather than just believing stories or just putting yourself in a position where stories are fed to you. It's actually positioning yourself for teaching, to be taught. Again, well done for getting to church today. Every Sunday you get to church, not only are you saying God is real, not only are you saying my belief in my heart is important, but you put yourself in a position to be taught. This, this, what we're doing right now, is a radical thing. To sit under the teaching of Pastor Caleb and let me try and teach you something from the Word of God and you open up your heart and let it challenge you and reconfigure you and challenge your mind and challenge your preconceived notions and take something with you into the week to pray about is a radical, radical thing. Not many people in our whole nation, not many of your friends and family sit every week with somebody to hear something that's going to challenge them to the core what you're doing is intentionally positioning yourself for formation. You're receiving teaching, you're receiving training, you're receiving things into your heart. Now, you can take what I say as a speech, oh, that was a nice speech and go home, or you can take it as a teaching from the Word of God and it could transform you. One's intentional, one's not. Rather than just relationships that you're bounced to here, my best mate there, my high school buddies, whatever, the guys down at the club, whatever, whatever, whatever. Rather than just random relationships, intentional spiritual formation looks for community. Rather than just going to and fro and being tossed around by whatever friend calls or whatever friend says, let's go for a beer or whatever you just happen to do that week, Being intentional about spiritual formation says, I want to go beyond just having relationships and just knowing people or just following who's fun at the moment to hang out with or who's interesting. Now, I want to look deeper. Who's my community? Who are the people that are going to help form me into Christ? Who are the people that are a spiritual family? Who are the people that I can run with in this life's journey? There's so many ups and downs and disappointments and things that go on. Who can be my running partners? My spiritual community. Your spiritual community isn't built first on personality and fun to hang out. We both go to the footy. No, it's built first on you want to abide with Christ, I want to abide with Christ. You want to become more like Jesus, I want to become more like Jesus. And the amazing thing with that is it cuts across cultural barriers, it cuts through personalities, it cuts through your kind of person, and it puts you with people that love Jesus, who you probably would never talk to if you weren't put in a church or a life group or a small community together. And then finally, rather than just habits that are formed by the toing and froing. Of our normal lifestyles, we don't just have random habits again, we don't just do things because we're asked to do a shift at work, we practice spiritual disciplines. This is the key, this is the kicker and this is what we're going to dig into this term. You will be formed by what you practice. Practice is so important. It's deliberate. It's like deliberate habits, where there's an awareness, where there's goals, where you're aiming at something. What are you aiming for in your loving union with Jesus Christ? What are you aiming at in your intimate relationship with God? The practices will support what you want in your relationship with Jesus Christ because we practice the spiritual disciplines to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to do as Jesus did. This week, I want to actually give you and every week during this series, I actually want to give you a spiritual practice to do. I want to actually guide you and give you an easy opportunity just one, once a week, it'll take you about 15 minutes just to do a spiritual practice It might be out of the seven there, or it might just be a little bit of guided prayer. There'll be a different one every week. The one for this week is called Abiding in Love with Jesus. And it just simply leads you through a prayer time, a bit of a prayer time, reflecting on John 15, looking at being with Jesus, meditating on the seven core practices we spoke about. It's just a little bit of a starter. So I want to encourage you with that. We've created a webpage. If you just go to our church website, forward forward slash practices, you will find the practice for the week there and you can go there right this afternoon and have a look at that and it's just i encourage you all to do that this week to take this sermon actually into something that you do the other thing we want to do throughout this series is because this is our series for the year we usually have one or two series a year where we really bring all of our life groups together to focus on the same topic and so we're going to provide discussion questions every week so if you're in your life group go for these discussion questions If you're not in a life group, you can join a life group. If you go up to the back of the welcome desk at the end, anyone can jump in a life group. Even if you just want to jump in a life group for a few weeks during this series, just to try it on, you can do that. If you're not in a life group, you don't want to be in a life group for whatever reason, just grab some friends or grab a friend and go through these discussion questions. I'm going to read them out for you. Which personal habits are bringing you closer to God? What habits are fostering shallowness, and selfishness and create difficulties in your relationships. So this stuff is going to get you deeper. It's going to get you talking. It's going to get you honest. Who would like to share your experience with this week's spiritual practice? So do the practice. Have a go at it. Go through the guided prayer. Take you about 20 minutes and then share that with your group or with your friend that you're discussing with. Number three, which of the seven core spiritual practices do you need to reintroduce to your routine? Why is this important? What is stopping you? Being with Jesus is all about having a good routine. You will not be a deeply formed spiritual person if you don't schedule it. It will not magically happen. As powerful as God is, it's all on you and how you run your life. He will not come in and kick the doors of your life down and make you into a person of prayer. You have to practice. You have to practice over and over and chip away and refine and go again and again and again slowly 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 you learn you learn and you learn and there you find intimacy with Jesus Christ you might be sitting here this morning going nah. but trust me Jesus did it and for 2,000 years all the greatest Christians that have shaped our tradition as Christians that have given us all the literature, all the techniques, all the ways to worship, they've all done it. There's secrets here to be found. There's depth here to be found that you may have never touched before. Maybe you've tried the spiritual disciplines on before. Maybe they've been forced down your throat before and given put a bad taste in your mouth. I ask you, seek God, reintroduce yourself, give it another chance, re-enter again. Number four, How can this group or how can your friend that you're talking to support you to abide with Jesus and establish the seven practices? Let's all stand this morning. Thank you, Father God. I just want you to open up your hands this morning and just open up your heart. Lord God, we just stand before you this morning. I feel greatly humbled, Lord God, as we begin talking about these spiritual practices. Lord, your word, it humbles us. Lord, where we're feeling maybe a little offended, where we're feeling a little confronted, where we're feeling that maybe this is brand new, maybe I've never heard of it before. Maybe some Lord God are feeling, ugh, I've had a bad experience with these things. I fasted once and then I was sick for a month. Lord, we just ask for your grace right now, Lord God. It's not about today. It's not about this moment, Lord God, but it's about what you're going to do in our hearts over this whole term. It's about what you're doing in us as a congregation. This is a time when God is going to the inner depths. It's a time of journeying inward to the heart. It's a time of formation, not only for you personally, but for us as a church family. And for anyone that's joining us, even if it's your first time today, you're welcome on the journey. And Lord God, we need your grace. The standards of Jesus are so high. I don't know if I could ever go to a cross. I don't know if I could really ever lay down my life like that. The standards are so high, Jesus. But we thank you that in your grace and mercy, you meet us where we are in the journey and encourage us forward. You give us the ultimate, you give us the ideal, you give us the standard, but then your grace and your love covers us. Your loving kindness draws us to repentance. We need that, Lord God. I don't think there'd be many people in this room right now, Lord God, that would be not wanting to know you better, Jesus. I don't think there'd be many people in this room that don't wanna be a deep person that doesn't want to plumb the depths of the spiritual realms, doesn't want to be formed into a better human being. But Lord, so many things stand in our way, especially the culture that we live in, the culture that we can't even recognize, the culture that is so often unintentionally forming us into a certain kind of person with certain kind of values. Let's ask you right now, if there's negative habits that you want to break, if there's shallowness that you want to break out of, maybe there's unbelief that you want to break out of, maybe there's just so many habits and things you're doing in environments you're in or friendships you've got, I don't know, that are just blocking you from abiding with Christ. Maybe you're not really abiding anymore. You didn't remain. You didn't stay. You didn't really reside with Him. You've, you've forcibly separated yourself for a time. You've become a bit isolated spiritually. You've, you've lost your prayer life. Your routine has very little of God in it. it. has a lot of stuff in it, but a very small percentage of God. Maybe you feel like you're hanging on by a thread. If you're any of those things this morning, I ask you just, just raise your hand or Place your hand on your heart, just some kind of action, step forward. You can bow down on your knees if you want, I don't mind. It's just between you and God. But when God speaks, it requires action. Being a Christian is a lifelong journey of apprenticeship. Jesus is the master, we are the apprentice. Jesus is the leader, we are the follower. Jesus doesn't expect you to get it all today, but He just wants you to take the next step in your journey to the next step of following Him. Prayer is a lifelong journey. Living in a Christian community with brothers and sisters in Christ, man, it is a lifelong journey of ups and downs and offenses and forgiveness and repentance and mistakes and all kinds of things. So if that's you this morning and something's blocking you, I just believe God is saying there's a grace just to let it go. If you need healing in these spiritual areas this morning, there's healing here. The Holy Ghost is just coming right now. He's going to minister to you. Just close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. Just let the Holy Ghost come in. This is just like a giant prayer line this morning, and we're all on it. Just minister to our hearts right now, Holy Spirit. We all need something different, but you can come to us all individually, Holy Spirit, and touch us right where we need. None of us are out of reach. No one here is bad. No one here is a a branch that God wants to cut off and throw in the fire. God's heart is just to prune you, that you may be fruitful. He has no intention of getting rid of you. He has no intention. Only you can break the connection between you and Jesus the vine. The gardener wants you to grow. What gardener doesn't want fruitfulness? What gardener doesn't want flourishing? What gardener doesn't use the skill of his secateurs to bring greater flourishing and greater fruitfulness? And that's the heart of God. He's a good father. And maybe you need healing this morning. We've, we've forcibly pulled away from the vine. We haven't allowed the secateers of God in heaven to come and bring fruitfulness. Just all the offense, all the unrepentance, just let it go right now. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Just take a minute, just let him minister to you. Let him touch you. Just repeat after me this morning, dear Jesus, just repeat after me, dear Jesus, I want to abide with you. I want to remain in you and you in me. Give me the grace to practice these spiritual disciplines that I may be with you, Jesus. I want to become like you, Jesus in order to do as you do, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is a special term. I've had this on my heart from God since last year. It's just the timing hasn't been right until now. I really believe God's going to move deep on our hearts, deep in our life groups. As I said, if you're not in a group, you feel free to jump in one, even if you just want to try it on for a few weeks. That's a great time uh, to engage in that way and really take your spiritual journey to another level uh, during the second term. So bless you. Thanks, Brad.